Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 105, Psalm 105, that's where we're going to camp out a little bit, and then we're going to move on to Genesis 37, 39, 50, 42, uh, some of those passages where uh, we're going to look at Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, he is one of my favorite people in the Bible besides Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, He's second, though, and we first meet him when he's 17 years old, just figuring life out. I remember when I was 17, can you guys remember that? When you were 17 at Atlanta, you're probably, that's way too far back for you, right? But I graduated at 17, didn't have a clue what I was going to do in life. I uh, just kept working at McDonald's or maybe I moved to, nah, I think I was in Taco Bell then moving up there. Um, but yeah, didn't have a clue. But Joseph's family, we talked about this in Sunday school, and I hope you make Sunday school a priority um, because it's just more of God's word, right, in a, in a closer setting. But his family uh, had some amazing promises that were given to them from God, and, and he even was given dreams. And, and uh, Joseph had some horrible things happen to him, right? You know the story. Um, he had some horrible things happen to him as he started to move forward in God's promises. And you see, when Joseph was at that age, his brothers threw him in a pit, talked about killing him, but ended up selling him as a slave. And my friends, I think at one point in all of our lives, I think we find ourselves in a pit, right? Maybe in more than one. Maybe you're in a pit today. I want to I look at how do you find hope when you're in such a place. So Psalm 105, uh, I'm going to read 9 through 11 and then 16 through 22. Would you stand in honor of God's word? This first part deals with the promise God made to Joseph's family before him, to Abraham, right? The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac, he confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. That's the promise that was given to Joseph's relatives, family before him. Then verse 16 talks about Joseph. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him, the ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this first portion of your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak mightily through it to our hearts. I pray that we would have soft hearts that are eager to hear from you. I pray that we have eyes and ears that are open, longing to hear from you, Father. And I pray that your word would soak down deep and speak to us and encourage us and challenge us to to look more like you. Father, we continue to give you all glory. We continue to exalt your name. And Father, we want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, you have right of way. Do as you would see fit. Lord, we entrust this service to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Most of you know that, you can be seated, yeah, most of you know that Joseph's story takes place in Genesis, starting in Genesis 37. The, the passage that we just read is a retelling from uh, David. That's who's, who's writing this. And you can also find another retelling in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, um, who gives a, a sermon. And after that sermon, he's actually martyred and, and put to death. But um, we, we just read that God was doing something big. He had a big plan for this people, right? He's making promises to Abraham about his descendants, the nation of Israel, and the land that was promised to them. First, though, the people of Israel must go to the, to the, name, the nation of Egypt and live there for a while uh, because God was still giving the people in the promised land a chance to repent. Genesis 15, 16 says, in the fourth generation, we read this in Sunday school, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What, what is God saying here? Uh, I can't give you this land yet because I haven't given them enough time to turn around. God gives the Amorites time to turn from their ways and the people of this, of this land. Sometimes we just see the other side of this. We come to Joshua and Judges, right? And we see God using the nation of Israel and actually wiping out these other nations. And sometimes if you're not familiar with the Bible, even if you are familiar with the Bible, you look at that. People who don't know God's character, right? People who don't know that look at that and say, wow, that does not seem like a loving God. But we know better, right? Um, sometimes even when we read those situations, we see that, and, and we're, sometimes we even think, whoa, you know, that, that's kind of harsh, God. But, but what people don't see, what people don't realize that he gave them 400 years to turn, to repent. Because that's how long the Israelites were in Egypt, so it's even longer than 400 years. Years. We also don't see the prophets all the time that were sent to these nations to speak God's word, to tell them to repent, to warn these people of their wicked ways, right? That's a story of Jonah that we have. Jonah was sent to the Amorites. Jonah starts off, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Like I said, these were the Assyrians, the enemies of the Israelites, right? And yet God sends a prophet to warn them. You give nations over 400 years, and that shows why the Bible says that, that God is, is long-suffering. He is patient, right? He's waiting and waiting and waiting. He's compassionate. The Bible tells us that he desires that none should perish. That's why when you're praying for God to strike that per terrible person dead, right, in your life, it doesn't happen. He wants that person to turn. He wants to use you to pray for that person, to love that person, to share the good news with that person, right? Because he does not desire people to just perish. That's not our God. That's not the character of God. Sometimes you may not see that with what you're reading, but there's more to the story. I don't think I would be here, right? If God wasn't slow to anger, man, yeah. He's abounding in grace. Praise God he offers us grace when we're not even worthy of it, when we don't deserve it. That's who God is, and that does not change. 
David's recounting all this, God's faithfulness to do what he says he was due because he's facing trying times as well. He finds a similarity with Joseph's story to his story where he's not necessarily in a pit, but he's in a cave. He sees in Joseph's life, God didn't take his hands off the wheel. He was still in control. He was always working in Joseph's life, and that encourages him to put his trust, to put his faith in God while he's in the cave, while King Saul is, is trying to kill him. He also sees that, that God allows a famine to come to move Joseph's family, the, the future nation of Israel. They, they would have just stayed where they were, right? They would have just stayed in that land. So, so David sees that even through the hard times, God is at work. His will is being done. God is using what is meant for evil for our good. And as a result, the, the Israelites will eventually find their way to the promised land before God allows this famine, though. He makes a provision for it to save people. That's just how our God is, right? And the text that we just read said that God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. That's an interesting way to put it. I, I don't know about you, but in a, way, in a way it seems to say that Joseph's brothers took him by force, threw him in a pit, talked about killing him, only to sell him as a slave, and that was God sending him to Egypt. Does that mean that God made his brothers do this evil thing to them and cause this to happen? No, right? It does not mean that. It means that his brothers meant to do this evil thing, but that God repurposed it, reused it, ultimately not only for, for Joseph's good, for the nation of Israel's good, but for this whole entire region that would experience this great famine. We know this because later on in Joseph's life, he says in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, talking to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Notice Joseph doesn't excuse what they did, right? We don't excuse when evil happens, right? But this happened because you intended it to harm me, but God repurposed it and used it for good, the saving of many lives. It's easy in those moments when you're in the pit, right, not sure what's going to happen to get discouraged, and we need hope in those times. We need to realize that it may appear to be a bad thing, but we serve a God that takes bad things and repurposes them into things that can ultimately bless us or bless other people, right? That's the faith that we have. You may see brothers selling you, brothers talking about killing you, right? But what are you hearing? What are you hearing? I'm sending you before your family. That's what God says. If I'm your God, I've allowed it, then I have a plan for it, a purpose for it, a plan to redeem this evil. There's such power in verse 17. He sent a man before them who was sold as a slave. You see what man's doing and what God's overturning. This is what I'm seeing, but this is what God is saying. What God says is so important to hold 
on to praise God that we have Scripture. Praise God that we have the Word of God, right? He still speaks to us, but we also have the Word of God that we can go to and hang on to. Amen? When Joseph was a little kid, I'm sure Jacob told him about the dream that he had. Do you remember that dream? I preached on it uh, probably a month or so ago. In that dream, though, God reveals a ladder coming down from heaven to this earth, not the other way around, right? That dream represented man being able to have a relationship with God because God made the way. God came down. We know that ladder is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the story that Jacob would have been would have taught to his children. Uh, Jacob would have also taught his children about God's promises to his father and grandfather that God would make their descendants into a nation and give them this great land. So Joseph, hearing these stories, hearing that there is a God that desires a relationship with them, began to seek God out, and because of this, God gives him a dream. God gave him a calling just like God gives each and every one of us a calling. God's dreams that he gave to Joseph was, you're going to be a leader, right? He sees in these dreams all, these, all of his brothers and, and his family all bowing down to him. They're working in the fields, right? And their shafts of wheat bow down to him and his shaft of wheat. Joseph wakes up. He's excited about this dream. He got a dream from God, right? His father had a dream from God. But notice this, the hard times come when he starts to share that dream and start in this, this mission to follow the dream. In fact, the dream is probably what set everything over the edge and got him in trouble with his family. He shared with them, maybe overshared with them. That just seems to be how Joseph is. When you combine this dream with the clear favoritism that his father gave him, Throw in Joseph telling on his brothers, being a little bit of a tattletale, giving a bad report of them. You see why his brothers didn't like him and why they, 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 when they hear this dream that they all bow down to him, it doesn't sit well with them, right? So they say, okay, we'll see about those dreams, right? We'll see about that, Genesis 37, 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They strip him of his tunic. If you've ever seen this portrayed, you see the brothers are, are jealous of his tunic because of the many colors. It had all these colors, and they just had very drab shirts. There is some disagreement about from Bible scholars, though, and if you'll read some translations about this coat, you'll see that some, some Bibles translate this as a coat with long sleeves or a long-sleeved robe, a long tunic. You, you see, the, the brothers' tunics would have been short-sleeved. They're meant for manual labor. They would have been cut off there. If you had a, a tunic with long sleeves, it meant you were meant to oversee the people with the short sleeves. You weren't meant to be a worker. 
you were meant to run things. So could you imagine it's, it's Christmas morning and you've got 11 other brothers, right? And, and you open your present and here is this uh, Armani suit with a leather briefcase, right? Everybody else gets a, a tool belt with a hammer in it. Uh, some of you would say tool belt hammer, that's a win, right? But this long sleeve tunic is just another example of dad's favoritism doesn't sit well. Oh, Joseph's not going to be working. We're going to be working, but Joseph's not going to be working. He's going to be in charge of us. That's what he's dreaming about. Uh, That's why they tear the tunic off of him and say, we'll see if your dreams come true. Joseph, who really hasn't done anything wrong, finds himself in a pit, not knowing if he's going to live or die. And this will not be the only pit that he finds himself in, right? How do we handle the pits that come up in our lives? How do we find hope in them? If you're taking notes, the first point I have for you is you can only control what you can control. You can only control what you can control. When you look at Joseph's life in Genesis 37, right, his brothers sell him as a slave, and the day-to-day details of Joseph's life are out of his control, right? He doesn't have a choice. When you're in chains, when you're taking to another country, when you're sold to a guy named Potiphar and you're, you're put um, in his household and, and, and you're in that estate, you don't have a choice of what you're going to do. He tells you what you're going to do, and that's what you need to do. Most of the details of Joseph's life are out of his control. I think a lot of us, at times when we're in the pit, we tend to focus on the things that are out of our control. We make them the focus, right? We worry about them. We fret about them. It's natural. It's just what happens normally. Joseph focuses, though, on the one thing that's in his control, himself. He focuses on his attitude, his behavior. He didn't pick this situation, right? But he was able to pick how he responds to it. He's unlocking the power of perspective. He's choosing to face his misery with God's mercy. You can embrace your life that is falling apart in a way that invites God's power into it. Scripture tells us multiple times as you read Joseph's story that he became successful. Make no mistake, he's suffering, right? But God's with him. And he's experiencing the power and the favor of God because he focuses in on what he can control and about doing the best that he can do and trusting God with the rest. That's what you and I need to do. I don't want to downplay the pit here, right? I don't want to make it sound like it was nothing. Later on, his brothers will talk about the day they sold him and sold him. Genesis 42, 21 says this. Listen to this. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. Joseph's crying out, don't do this to his, to his very own brothers. You ever been betrayed by somebody very close to you? That's heavy. Make no mistake, Joseph was in a pit for over a decade but here's what I love him. Here's love about him. Here's what I respect about him. Here's what I admire about him. He was faithful with the things that were in his control, and he was ultimately successful in his suffering. My friends, we can be successful too in our suffering. 
How did he keep this focus? I think the whole time he held on to this dream, right? To what God spoke to him. God was with him. We know that, right? Just like his dad told him was possible. You might not have a dream, but God still speaks. I told you, God speaks through his word, right? The, the Bible tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted and in the pit? God's near. Reach out to him. So Joseph controls what he can himself, his attitude, his response. He says, I'm going to continue to trust you in this pit. I'm sure when he was first bought, he was given that menial job, right? Uh, a degrading, probably, job, but he worked hard in it. And he quickly developed a reputation in this household, a reputation with Potiphar. And he got promoted to the next opportunity, to the next opportunity, until he was running everything. Genesis 39.6 tells us, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything but the food he ate. At this point, if I'm Joseph, doing my best, I'd be thinking that God's going to get me out of this. God's going to somehow get me free of this. That's how the story should turn out, right? I'm sure that's what Joseph has been praying for years, trusting God, but Joseph's life takes a drastic turn and gets worse. He ends up in a darker pit. He goes from a palace to a prison cell. How do he get there? Second point. Joseph takes the road less traveled. Jesus tells us that there's two roads in life, right? A broad road that leads to destruction, a broad road that many people are following that's easy to follow. He also tells us, though, that there's a narrow road far less traveled, but it leads to life. And ultimately, Jesus is talking about the way of salvation. But it also speaks to the choices that we have. Are we going to take the broad road and do what comes natural to our human nature, or are we going to deny ourselves, our human nature, and follow the Holy Spirit's leading? That's the question before you. Are we going to take the harder road to travel? I think that if I had been through as many pits as Joseph would have been, it would have been easy for me to justify, easy for me to rationalize the broad road. Hey, I'm on the narrow road and things are getting worse. I'm on the narrow road and I go from a palace being a slave to being a prisoner. I might as well take the broad road. Isn't that what we tell you? Isn't that what we say? I'm faithful to you, God, and yet things are getting worse, right? How many times have I seen somebody in the church who's, who is growing, who is being faithful, and their life just gets worse? Why bother? Why bother? That's what we tell ourselves. That's how we rationalize things. Joseph kept on that narrow road, though. Kept on that narrow road when he was tempted in Potiphar's house. He caught the eyes of Potiphar's wife. The Bible tells us that she cast longing eyes at him. Joseph is one of four people in the Bible that said it was good looking in the face and the body. He had some abs, he had some guns, right? Pharaoh's wife saw him and she's like, hmm, right? Not Pharaoh's wife, I'm sorry. Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife 
would have been likely a beautiful woman too, right? High government official. She is likely beautiful and, and the wife of such a powerful person. And one day she comes to him and says, hey, lie with me. Now think about if you're Joseph, you're a slave, right? You didn't ask to be in this situation. You didn't voluntarily come into this situation. You don't have any kind of allegiance to this Potiphar. You didn't ask to be here. You are forced in here. You are wrongly forced into this situation. You, you can even make the argument that, that God didn't help you out of being a slave, right? He gave you a dream that you're not supposed to be a slave, but what's he been doing all these years? We can justify. We can rationalize. Why should I honor God when he's not honoring his dream that he gave me? After all, following you, God, got me here. You're not keeping up your end of the bargain, so why honor you? I don't even know if there's any laws at this time that says this is wrong, right? We don't have the Ten Commandments at this point. I don't even know how he technically knows he shouldn't do this. Surely there's a libido in him that's telling him to do this, right? He's good-looking, she's good-looking, he's a young man. Why not? Come sleep with me. Joseph's response, told you I admire this guy. Genesis 39.9, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? God. Joseph takes the road less traveled. When you are tempted, man, we can justify things like no one else, at least I can. Don't do it. Don't, don't trade a moment for a lifetime. I'm talking to somebody right now, not in this church, that traded a moment, and it's going to be nothing but pain for a long time. Not Joseph, he does the right thing. He doesn't want to sin against God. He's not willing to trade his peace from God. He's not willing to trade God's presence, right? Not for a moment with this woman. He refuses. Verse 12, I just noticed this. She caught him by the cloak. This is the second time somebody grabbed his cloak. First time his brothers forcefully took it from him, threw him in a pit. This time he willingly gave it up. He does the right thing. And guess what? He finds himself in a, a darker pit, a deeper pit. But to him, that's better than sinning against God. Amen? He's falsely accused, thrown into jail. His reward, right? If, I, if I'm honest again, how do you not get mad at God at this point? You're being faithful. You're trusting him. And you find yourself in a worse Place, but this is why I love Joseph. I'm going to be thinking, I'm doing what you want. I've done the right thing. Why, God? He doesn't do that, though. He doesn't go down that road. He remains faithful, and he continues to trust God, trust the dream that God gave him. And he says, you can tear my coat off twice, but I'm going to follow you. Stays on the narrow road until the end of his life. We'll eventually see his brothers come down and bow down to him. You know the story. We see the dream fulfilled. He's second only to Pharaoh, right? He's in charge of the nation of, of Egypt. What could have he done? What could he done? Why can't I speak? What could he have done to his brothers in that position, right? You remember me? You're talking about killing me? 
You sold me as a slave? Man, I'd be tempted to lay the whooping on them, right? Let's see how you like being a slave. Let's see how you like being in prison. No, he keeps taking the narrow road. And it's evident because he chooses to forgive him. Because he doesn't stop trusting God's plan. Number three, pits happen for a reason. I want us to have this realization. It's hard, though. I want us to have this realization. The pit that Joseph went through were used by God to build him up. They were repurposed, right? That's what we said. They were repurposed. They were reused. He learned how to run organizations. He was tested with temptation. And he found out, in the end, God was faithful, right? Two things that were absolutely necessary. If you're going to run the nation of Egypt, you have to have that experience of running organizations. He ran Potiphar's estate. He ran the prison. And in order to remain faithful when great power is given to you, you have to not fall for temptation. Look at, look at our, our elected leaders and how many times they fall right, under that great power, that great responsibility. You have to do the right thing. You have to travel the narrow road. This is what he learned in those pits. God used the pits to prepare him for what was coming, for his calling. This is the realization. This is the perspective that we need to have in the pit. What is God doing with this pit I'm in right now? What is God teaching me? What is God building in my character? What is God preparing me for? How is God maturing me through this season? If, if we can get that mindset while we're going through the storm, right, that will help us get through that storm because we'll trust him with it. If you're in the pit, this may sound weird, but don't run from it. Sometimes when we're in the pit, there's an option to run from it, to take the broad road. Don't do it. It's not worth it. The pits in my life have been the best things for me. I can look at them. I can look back at them and see God's hand in them. I can see God taking what was meant for evil, what was meant to hurt, and turning it around for my good. Don't run from the pits if it means taking the broad road times in the pit for me were the times where God came near, so near to me, and I would not trade them for the alternative. The pit anchors you. The pit shows you what's really important. You avoid the pits, I I think you avoid the anchor for your soul. You avoid the pits, I think you miss out on some face-to-face time with God when he's drawing near to you. The pits are literally where my faith became real. I didn't enjoy the pit. Who does? I didn't want to be in the pits while I was in them. But praise God, he was with me. He gave me his peace in those pits. My my friends, I don't rejoice when you're in the pit. And I know many of you are. I just pray that God would use them for your good, to make your faith come alive. I pray that you'll go closer to him. I pray that he becomes more real to you. I pray pray that he becomes your anchor, that you cling on to that rock, right? I pray that that he's face to face with you. That's what I pray for you when you're in the pit. 
I pray that when you come out of the pit, you're better, better ready to serve him and help other people in their pits. What does this look like? I love this verse. I never noticed this verse either. God just teaching me all sorts of things. Genesis 47. Genesis verse 47. This is at a point where Joseph, Joseph has been in prison a while. Two of Pharaoh's officers were just thrown into prison. This is what it says. So he, Joseph, asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him, why do you look so sad today? Why do you look so sad today? How challenging is that? Coming from this guy that has lost everything in his life. Literally everything. He's lost his family. He was taken from his home, from his land. He lost two cloaks. He's either been a slave, right? Or he's either been in prison for 11 years at this point. 11 years, and he's going to spend two more years in prison after this. But he asks, why do you look so sad? That can only come from a person who's anchored by God. Here's what I learned. When you're in the pit, sometimes the best thing that you can do is not focus on you, but focus in on some other people who are in some pits. There's nothing more powerful than seeing somebody in a pit encouraging other people. I remember Mike Steima, cancer announcement. It totally changed his life. He was nothing but a servant reaching out to other people, sharing the gospel and the good news while in the pit. I know the broad road says when you're in the pit, focus on yourself. But the narrow road says maybe you'll find healing by focusing in on others. Number four, cry and unload on God. You read through Joseph's account in Genesis, you will see someone that was in pain and weeping often. When you're in the pit, unload on God. Be respectful, all right? But you don't have to hide your true feelings from God. Scream if you need to scream. You don't have to protect God. You don't have to suppress that feeling. You don't have to pretend, I shouldn't feel that way. I should have more faith, right? Joseph's weeping often as he should be. Here's the thing with Joseph, though. Joseph didn't stay there. He processed those things with God's promises and with God's presence. And that's what you and I need to do. Feelings cannot have the last word. Bring God your authentic feelings, but then when God whispers back to you, when you read the word of God and you hear his voice, trust it. Trust his plan for you. Trust he will work all things for your good, right? Trust he has a future for you. Can I speak to somebody right now? God has a future for you. He's got a future for you. We acknowledge the feelings, but here's something higher than feelings, and it's the Word of God. Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. 
For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Stay in the pit in the right way. Trust God, trust his word. I guarantee you're going to be molded into the image of God. I guarantee you that's going to come through it. Colossians 1.23 says this, Continue in the faith, grounded and settled. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's where we all can find hope today, even in the pit. It's in the gospel. Fast forward to when Joseph is 110 years old. Remember 17, man, he thought his life was over at that point. But he holds on to hope, right, to the promises of God, to the presence of God. He never lets go of that. And at 110, he's had a good life. He's seen his family to the third generations. I love the song that we sang today, right? Hey, hey guys, with your kids, we're here to help you. We're here to help you. We want to see those blessings flow on from generation to generations. Let us help you in that endeavor, right? He's seen his family to a third generations, and he says this in Genesis 50, 24. I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to his father Jacob. At 110, Joseph is still holding on to that promise from God. Not only is he holding on to it, but he's proclaiming it to his descendants, to his family. He's telling them, God is going to keep his word. I saw God keep his word when he gave me a dream. It took a while, right? But I saw God keep his word, and he's going to keep his word with this. And I tell you what, when God takes you out of this, out of this land, take my bones with you. Because I don't want to be here. I want to get to that land that God's promised. That's faith. That's hope. It's the, same, it's the same hope he's been clinging to all those years while he was in that pit. That's what we need to do. Would you stand with me? My friends, this, this passage and what God is revealing, man, puts, puts into perspective for me COVID-19 puts into perspective the craziness of the world over these last two years because you know it is bigger than the dumpster fire of the last two years that we've had, right, that we've all been in? It's the fact that Christ is coming back. Amen? You know what's bigger than death? It's that Christ has conquered the, the, the grave. He's defeated death. Amen? You know what's bigger than any pit you will ever be in? is that in 10,000 years we'll be singing praises to God. We'll be living a new life where there will be no more pain and no more suffering. He will wipe every tear. Amen? That's the God we serve. That's the hope we have. I know some of you are in the pit. You got a family that cares about you, though. Reach out to somebody. Reach out to me. Right? Reach out. Help us carry the burden that we're called to do. That's our job as a church. My friends, this is the message of hope that's given, that is entrusted to you. You're going to go out of here. You're going to find people in pits. Share the good news. Share the hope that you have with somebody that needs to hear that hope. We scatter, man. We scatter to serve we scatter to build the kingdom of God. We have to. We can't just let this message stay in here. 
Yeah, we can share it with each other, but there's people that God has entrusted us with. There's people that we're going to have God-ordained moments as we go out of here. Let's be faithful. Let's share that, right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your hope. Lord, I thank you that when we're in the pit, we're not there alone. Lord, you're there. Father, not only are you there, but Father, you gave us a family to be there with us, right next to us. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, I, I, as I was talking about, I pray that you would give us, give us a meeting with somebody today that is hurting, that, that needs to hear from you. And Father, help us to share how, how we got through the pits in our life. Lord, help us to share that they can trust you, that they can entrust whatever they're going through to you, and that you will draw near to them. Father, don't, us, don't let us shy back from that. Help us to recognize it. Help us to be praying for it. Help us to look for it. Lord, help us to be agents of your mercy, agents of your grace, ambassadors for you. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 You're dismissed. <laughs>